Insider. I'm your host, Dave Blanchard, Editor-in-Chief of Material Handling and Logistics, as well as the author of the new third edition of Supply Chain Management Best Practices. The big news in supply chain right now is the passage of the big trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. What impact will that have on all the supply chain disruptions, product backlogs, delivery delays, and everything else that seems to have gone wrong with the supply chain? To answer that question, we'll be talking to PwC's Matt Compte, who will share his insights into what this infrastructure plan will have on U.S. companies. So that's the topic for today. So let's get started. Welcome back to Supply Chain Insider. Today, we're talking to PwC's Matt Compte. Matt is PwC's Operations Transformation Leader, and we're going to be talking about one of those topics that everybody has questions about, and we really are hoping that we can get a little bit of clarity into it. It's a fairly new development that the infrastructure bill has finally uh, gone through, been okayed through Congress. The question, of course, is what does it mean? So, Matt, before we get started with that, uh, let me just welcome you and ask for you to briefly describe your role at PwC and you know what do you focus on most? Hey, David, thank you. It's it's wonderful to be with you, and thanks for the time to to have this conversation. Looking forward to uh, exploring and unpacking a little bit. I uh, like you said, I run our operations transformation business, which really is our advisory services that are that cover core operations supply chain manufacturing yeah. you know, for all the sectors that make it the last uh so uh, our clients all serve our incredible organization where energy we've taken all of our, our scale industrial and uh we've focused it on you know the things that our clients want to solve the most and you know supply chain being one of those so we're excited about uh being client centric and bringing uh, some good insights to uh, how our clients solve the uh, supply chain problems well, that's that's good to know because I, my audience for the podcast as well as for the the magazine I work for, material handling and logistics, they're all in manufacturing, they're in, in warehousing, they're in transportation. Uh, you know, they they are the key elements of the supply chain when it comes to what you know what do people focus on in their jobs. That's what they're focusing on, and the infrastructure act as described seems to be exactly what they're looking for, but let's let's drill down into it. So if you could just provide a little bit of context, because infrastructure has been one of those words that we've we've heard about. We heard about it in, uh, when President Obama had an infrastructure plan, President Trump had an infrastructure plan, and now President Biden has his own infrastructure plan. And what what do you expect to see in the current one? I guess that's that's the relevant story right now. What is in uh, the Biden infrastructure bill? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question because it's, it's moved around quite a bit for us. Um, I would say if, if we just look at what it is, it's a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which is a mix of existing and new programs. Uh, the new spending in this bill is really about $550 billion. That's the new spending. That means the balance of the $1.3 trillion is through existing programs. Um, so I would put the bill, I, you know, several people cut it different ways. 
I put it into three buckets. I put it into transportation improvement modernization, which is about 320 billion. That's really uh, roads and bridges, safety, public transit, rails, ports, and this thing called resiliency, uh, which is really more about uh, cyber and climate. Um, the, The other bucket I would put is clean water, clean energy, and the transition related to those two. Uh, that's about 165 billion. So unpack that. What, what's in that? It's power transmission and infrastructure. It's EV charging. It's electric vehicles. It's clean water and it's environmental remediation. Um, so those those are the two big buckets. I would put the third bucket as high speed communications, and that's about 65 billion. That's how I unpack it. It's it's a it's a good look at, uh, you know, I mentioned that it it moved around a lot. (laughs) So this bill originally started off as about 2.6 trillion in new spending. That's in new spending. 2.6 compared to 550 is what it came out of. I would say 80% of that savings, that delta that going from 2.6 to uh, 0.55 was really around uh, cutting some of the, some programs out. So just wholesale cuts. So what's not in the final bill was things around uh, R&D and innovation, mostly around climate, Um, manufacturing, uh, some manufacturing R&D, moving manufacturing in the U.S., uh, housing, uh, home health care, and clean energy tax credits. That's most of what the uh, bipartisan committee took out. And then the rest of the deltas, the other 20 percent is really around refinements of the existing program. To what extent, if any, will we see in the bill, you know, as, well, I guess it's not a bill anymore. Now it's a plan. Will we see things like smart highways and those kind of programs that we've, we've heard about a lot with, with the uses of some of these new technologies so that, you know, we can see things like autonomous vehicles. Is that even in the plan? It, it's in there. Um, there's when you, open the detail, there's lots of line items. I mean, it's an incredibly thick bill. Uh, you know, I would say most of the investment, we, we can get into some of the, like the hard investment that goes to, you know, supply chain. Um, you know, I saw, you know, a lot of studies and assessments and plans. Autonomous vehicle is actually one of them. Uh, EV, uh, really around transportation, EV, locations like in corridor plans. So yeah, I, I, we're going to see a huge emphasis in some of those environmental and climate initiatives um, associated to kind of where we're going in the future of transportation. I'm going to drill down into four points that PwC has focused on uh, some of the, the research that you and your group have done. Before I do that, though, I guess one of the questions that people always ultimately come to is once you get past the huge dollars, you know, first you hear a trillion dollar infrastructure. Wow, that trillion dollars is a lot of money. Then you you start drilling down and it sounds like the highways. And when you, you know, first, first of all, you, you, you cut it in half from the original $2 trillion at the, as they originally wanted. Then it got down to 1 trillion, but only half of that is new funding. And then of that half a trillion, then you know, you cut it into three slices with the transportation improvements and modernization 
being roughly a third of that to maybe half. I don't know how you, how you <laughs> slice and dice it. <laughs> Anyways, the question, then there is a question is, what can people realistically expect? Will they see wholesale changes? Will they see projects just starting up? Or as we probably should be assuming, is it going to be kind of a slow rollout? I know that the that Biden, President Biden and his his allies would really love to see a lot of things happening so that they can have, you know, the news cycle dominated by the supply chain is getting fixed. Uh, but will that will we be seeing that kind of stuff anytime soon? I would say um, there's a couple of ways to to look at it. First, let's look at it in the scale of what we're trying to to accomplish. So put things, some things in perspective. The, the headline of the bill of why we were doing this bill in the first place was that we have 173,000 miles of road and 45,000 bridges that are in poor condition. Okay. You know, that, that was the inter, and that's the entry headline of why would we even do this? And then we have that whole ESG and environmental agenda you know, environmental, social, and governance agenda that surrounds that whole component. So, um, like you said, you know, of the new spending, we basically kind of whittled that that down, and you know, depending on how you count it, 140, 160 billion or so that's hitting really around transportation and some of those priorities. So, to put it into perspective, I ran a little bit of math. It's like, so what would 40 or so billion do for new bridges. You can build about 500 to 700 new bridges. With the highway money, you can build about five to 6,000 miles of interstate. And with the port money, you can build one brand new world-class port. Almost. That's about 20 billion to build a brand new port. So that, that kind of puts it into perspective kind of the level of investment that we're seeing. It's a start, but it, it doesn't get us all the way, all the way there. Your, your other question was then, well, okay, then what are we going to see in the short term? Like, so first it's like, okay, well, we got to get the money out. So how's, how is the money actually going to hit? So the money is going to come through a couple of channels. One will come through like the formula, the same formula version, the way that Congress allocates money today. It'll flow through those same formula driven channels to our states and local governments. And that's that's a large part of how the money is going to get out. So it really then pushes you into, well, you know, most of this money is going to be spent at the local in the state and local jurisdiction. Um, the second is around kind of grants. And we'll see, you know, that whole grant program run. And then, um, you know, the third will be around these special large infrastructure programs that are being carved out of their multi-state and really high risk. And we'll see those, those come through, uh, you know, enhanced grant channels. So that's some of how the money is going to flow. Uh, and then you say, all right, then what kind of projects will we see? I think in the short term, we'll see projects that are fall into two categories. It's, you know, remember that old term shuttle ready? 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, in this bill, a lot of the money is going to pay for deferred maintenance and known projects that were already in the backlog. Are they shovel ready? Maybe, maybe not. There's probably a mix, but there is a backlog of work that we can deploy the resources against. And then if you look at the other portions of the of the bill, lots of studies and plans, like those things can get out. But really, what is the impactful? One of the things that are really going to make is like solve the problems. Those are big investments. We all know that's going to take some time. One thing that I I found fascinating in your calculations is that there would be enough money to build a new major seaport. Is that in the plans in, in any way, shape, or form? Uh, or yeah. will we more likely see upgrades to the existing? Yeah, right. I was just trying to put it into perspective of right. the 17 billion. Okay, 17 billion. That sounds like a lot of money, Matt. Uh, it is a lot of money for me, but to build one port, it's it's about 20 billion. So the ones that we've seen in Rotterdam, we've seen in coming online in China and, and those, um, it just gives us a, a, a way of thinking about how much is 17 billion re- re- relative to our ports. The money, to your point, the, what was being actually planned is, is a lot of upgrades um, and infrastructure. Well, that goes to the port authorities and the port authorities are, are local. So that money will be um, will be um, allocated through its, the, the form of some formula method. Uh, to each of those ports. All right, I'm not going to ask you to solve the impossible, but I just saw an article uh, earlier today, a report saying, I think it was the number of cargo ships off the port of Los Angeles was somewhere around 80 ships were, were just sitting out there waiting. And the question, of course, would be relative to this infrastructure plan is what can a, a bill even of of seventeen billion dollars, if we took it all and and, and aimed it at the ports, uh, right now, what could they realistically hope to do in terms of investments? What 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 should you know the people listening to this podcast? What could they realistically expect that to mean for them, if anything? <laughs> it's, it's a good um, it's a good question. I think. The one call to action for us as professionals in this area is to really lean into private and public partnerships with these these uh, organizations. So the port authorities, I mean, that they're working really, really hard to solve the problem. They're actually right in the crosshairs right right now. Um, so each of us as as professionals in this area, uh, we all share have some shared objectives to solve it. So first, I think it's it's leaning in. And, and uh, really being part of, of the solution. I think when we think with our practitioner hats on, we see a couple of things. One, we read a lot of information and some of us know that information is you know, accurate or it's you know, some, somewhat conflated at times. Um, you know, some of the things we hear a lot about um, drivers, like the number of truck drivers. We don't have enough truck drivers. And if you look at some of the math, you could make that conclusion that, yeah, you, you need more truck drivers and to hit the capacity trends that we see in the market at the level of demand that we have today, you could make that conclusion. But when you really unpack the port, how many truck drivers are sitting there waiting to get their cargo off? How long are they idling? 
that's waste, you know? So where does the money need to go? And this is where us as professionals leaning in with the ports, more capacity for empty containers. That'd be a good one. And how to deal with empty containers. Cause someone has to bring something in to take something out. Um, so, you know, there, there's that component. There's more smart systems about how you sort and how you store uh, containers so that you can get them off and get them loaded and get them out of there. So, you know, just the congestion in general of the ins and outs of these uh, components, I think would, you know, make a, make a huge, huge difference. And I don't hear a lot of that being talked about. Like the real physics of why things can't get in and out. And that's perspective that, you know, your listeners and you know, our practitioners, we all have that perspective and, and can bring that nuance. Let me shift back over to what, what we decided we would talk about earlier. You identified four areas of impact uh, that, that could, you know, that this, this bill really addresses and that you will probably be recommending to your clients, and those would be modernize, decarbonize, secure, and fund new infrastructure. So if you don't mind, if you could just kind of outline what each of those encompasses and help us kind of understand how all of this put together could help, you know, improve our whole supply chain infrastructure. We recently surveyed our um, some of our clients just to to understand you know what are they what are they worried about and what we got back from the CEOs COOs sixty um, percent of them listed like two things it was cybersecurity number one um, and then supply chain risk is number two those are the biggest challenges that came back in our our most recent survey. And that the time horizon for those two components for over the next two years, that those are the things that COOs, CEOs are most worried about. When you unpack, okay, then what is the supply chain risk that you're worried about? That it, four things came out. It was input costs. Uh, it was demand forecasting. It was supply chain visibility. Uh, and it was resiliency uh, and reliability. And, um, in the, the sourcing of their, uh, in the sourcing components. So th- those are the things that are on top of mind of our clients um, and their executives. So if, if I look at the supply chain uh, components that you went through, I would say it, to draw the lines between what business is really worried about and what this bill is worried about, modernization and that whole uh, new infrastructure like funding new infrastructure, those two things are completely aligned and fully overlapped. And it kind of goes back to my thing of how does private and public work together to solve the biggest problems? I think you find where the, the biggest alignment of objectives come together and we go attack those things. So, um, you know, go back to those risk I, didn't look to, uh, I talked about, you know, inputs, demand, forecasting, supply chain visibility, resiliency, that's all covered in those modernization and new investment um, initiatives. And we, and we could unpack those initiatives and kind of go to each one of those. Those are the ones that I think this bill are going to help the most and where businesses are really going to, to fill the most. Now, what's the time horizon? I said one to two years is when our clients are worried about it. That's when businesses are worried about it. When, when is the effect and at the speed of, of government? When does that effect come online? It's probably in that, you know, towards the end. It's the two, three, four-year horizon. So I think everything we talk about in the short term with this infrastructure bill is more about resolving and, resi- and getting a stronger future 
in that three, four, five year range and changing the, the, the landscape of business there versus kind of in the short term. I think in the short term, it's going to be a lot of these existing projects, a lot of working hand in hand to solve the, the micro problems. But, uh, you know, that's the, those are the things that, that really pop out. Now, security, um, again, our executives listed cybersecurity as one of those biggest things to worry about. You know, let's build types into security. And some of the things that we've seen recently in the industry has reminded us that, um, that you know, someone messing with a valve uh, or, or a, a, a pumping station, a pipeline can have a huge impact. And, and so I think we'll, we'll see some of the risk come down with this infrastructure. So there's, there's, there's dollars there to invest. Um, and then the, the third one uh, was around decarbonization. I think it's really more when I look at the spending in this bill relative to decarbonation, it's a down payment. It's, it's a lot of studies. It's a lot of understanding trends. It's a lot of setting the framework, but there's going to require multi-trillion dollars behind that in order to really move uh, beyond, uh, you know, weight, talking about weight or talking about carbon capture or talking about, you know, some of the techniques that we can put around trucks, you know, we're going to have to move, move past that. So it's just an initial down payment on it. You mentioned a couple of things there, for instance, cybersecurity and risk management. A lot of these, I guess cybersecurity, I mean, you do have to invest in a lot of just basic you know, the plumbing of, of, of technology. But what about the technology itself? Is how much, if, if you could, you know, take a guess, I guess, does a lot of this infrastructure plan seem to be targeted for investments in technology? I mean, demand forecasting and, you know, artificial intelligence and, uh, you know, splicing visibility and, and some of these other technologies that, you know, we've been talking about for years. Does there seem to be an appetite within the plan to invest, to you know, use federal dollars to invest in these sorts of technologies? There are a few line items in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, around first, you see around um, transportation, like the the actual planning. So there's um, an effort around uh, multimodal freight infrastructure planning. Um, there's, you know, highway uh, forecasts and programs around, you know, corridor studies, you know, the, the whole uh, multi-state and state freight plans. I mean, all of those things are establishing kind of baselines and where we're going. And then there's line items in there around technology as well um, to help that forecasting relative to the plan. So what are the inputs and outputs that really kind of drive some of those uh, multi-state, you know, freight plans and, and movement and corridors? And then how do we forecast, use technology to forecast against that? So, yeah, it's actually in plan. So going to the opposite extreme, I think probably most of the, of the population of the United States, the way things are right at the moment, would be very happy and satisfied if two things happen, number one, the money that's been promised is actually going to be spent. And number two, if they just fix the highways and the bridges and you know the roads, 
the interstates, what have you, so that people weren't always complaining about congestion and, and chuck holes and bad roads. I think that money would be extremely well spent. It wouldn't even have to necessarily involve most of the, the things that we were talking about if they just got people out to fix the roads. Do you see that as a fallback that that could that could end up happening where maybe some of the other more fanciful or, uh, you know, far reaching impacts of you know, decarbonization and electric vehicles, which are on the are always on the planning stages. But I think people would be just as happy if we saw tangible, better highways. Yeah, I think I think if you look at the scale of the dollars, the scale of the dollars are exactly how you describe them. The scale of the dollars are moving to um, roads and bridge projects, um, which are administered locally and through states. So I, I do think you will see those programs um, accelerate. I, I think when I step back, I mean, I mean none of us are going to debate how um, government programs work, like the speed of government. I mean, that that's no one's going to be surprised that um, there's some inherent inefficiency in that. But what we can say is that once a government program and the bureaucracy is up and running, it does spend money and it does flow. So go back to this bill, 1.2 trillion, but 550 million is new spending. The new spending is where we're going to see some headwinds. Like how, when do we see that money and the effectiveness? When are we getting that new stuff? The other balance of that money is going to existing programs. So I think there'll be, and that you know, that's a little bit different than what we've seen in the past administration pushes. A lot of it has been pushed for new. This is using a mix of existing and new. In the existing, we should see some immediate impact. So I think we'll actually see some flow. And going back to you know the previous point, there's backlog, there's projects known, there's things in progress that this money will will flow to. It's the new stuff that's really going to like decarbonize and decongest. And those are the things where I think long-term investment, we're going to have to work hard, public and private together to make sure that money gets the right space, right place and right innovation and get kind of those things done in the more three to five year time frame. What could we realistically see happen soonest? In other words, I, I know that as you just explained, it, it's going to take a long time for this billion, sorry, this trillion dollars to be spent, what would most likely, other than the, the, the projects that have already been earmarked and then just this new bill is helping to, to fund, will we see, well, first of all, will we see anything in 2021? There's only a month and a half left. If not, how soon next year do you think we would see some of this money starting to, to roll out? Oh, I wish I could answer that question. I mean, there's, if we polled the whole um, crew that's listening to us have this discussion, I'm sure um, the likelihood of something or us believing that something's going to get done this year yeah. is probably pretty low. So uh, <laughs> I think I, I feel good about concluding that we're not going to see a lot. Um, I think what we should do, each one of us as practitioners and innovators in this space, spend some time reading through the, the grant programs, 
that the bill is out there. Um, it's in bill language, so it's a little tough to kind of get through. But there, when just looking at the table of contents of this bill really helps focus where we can start making investments. There's grant programs for surface streets. I know there's there's people that listen to this podcast that are in the business of creating, you know, surface logistics and and helping like establish infrastructure. Uh, those grant programs they're being defined now. There, there's nothing stopping us from thinking through the local community and the investment plans and starting to help, uh, you know, attack those grants. So we, this, us as practitioners and us and your, and your listeners have a role to accelerate. And I think us kind of leaning in, kind of where are those investments that are best for our communities, best for our business situations? How can I line up those grants and those programs and, and help my local district, you know, ju- jurisdictions and state jurisdictions start formulating those grants and start getting some of those programs sanctioned. I think that may accelerate more into 22. If we let the process kind of run, it, it may be late into 22 before we really start seeing some of these new programs. Okay. Okay. That, no, that's fair enough. And that's pretty much I think even under the most optimistic circumstances is, would be what people would, would expect to hear. So I guess final question that I would ask you is what advice and, uh, you know, when, when your clients are coming to you for advice and direction on what does this mean to, to, to them? So, well, I know you have clients in, in a lot of different man, uh, industries, but if you were talking to somebody Generally, in uh, you know the transportation, logistics, warehousing uh, industry or community, what would you tell them that they should expect to see happen, or that they could do to help ensure that their own supply chains uh, can can start improving as the infrastructure itself improves? That's a, that's a great, it's a great question. It's been a lot of time in the last few months reflecting on that exact question as we've watched the market unfold, uh, infrastructure bill or not infrastructure bill, like, fine, take it in or out. We've spent generations as an industry um, creating you know, a very efficient supply chain that's very lean, very much just in time. I mean, it, it, it was humming. It was, I mean, if you step back and look at the global things that we were able to do from a product life cycle, getting product from imagination all the way to, you know, Christmas trees, under Christmas trees. It was incredible what we were able to do. And then this pandemic hits. And it, it has changed, like, society. The things that we are advising is first, um, step back and think about what needs to be ultimately efficient and lean, and where do you need resiliency built into your and, and adaptability built into your systems? That that means there is some trade-off between lowest cost um, between points A and B and highest predictability and safety between A and B. So thinking through, you know, where is hub and spoke more appropriate? Where do you put warehousing, not in the congestion zones, but outside the congestion zones and starting to think about staging, starting to think about manufacturing sites. Um, And that's relative to global tax 
relative to tariffs, relative to pandemic. I mean, there's just so many things that we're working through with our clients to think about how to think uh, about the whole supply chain from the, the, the imagination all the way to the end in more than efficiency terms. So that's one thing. The Another, in stating the obvious, logistics and warehousing, I think over uh, from a digital and technology perspective, it's one area I would say that uh, us as an industry, uh, we've got a lot of point solutions and small solutions. We really don't think really big, like multi-organizations, multi-state, like the the big ecosystem components of how you optimize warehousing and logistics. And that's getting more specific and investments into warehouse management systems. Well, when you're in a multi-modes, multi-spoke, you know, all these, and you're you're decongesting, you're moving things around, how you optimize products flowing through which warehouses and which locations and staging for what you're actually seeing in the congestion zones, that starts to matter. And doing that in spreadsheets and doing that in the calls, I mean, that... That, that that's not sufficient anymore. So starting to think a little broader on warehouse management and then obviously the logistics management systems as well. So, you know, that's where we're spending a lot of time with our clients is, you know, around those those three those three functional components. And then the, the last thing we're spending a lot of time is thinking about the whole visibility, being able to understand where everything is in the trade-offs and the visibility supply chain. That's, that's, a, that's a big one. And it's... Um, it's one that in the complexities of today, you have to have technology to do it. So we're spending a lot of time with our clients talking through it. Wow. Thanks for those great insights and advice, Matt. Much appreciated. And we've been talking to PwC's Matt Compte about what to expect from the new infrastructure plan, both in terms of new projects as well as previously announced projects. And that will wrap it up for this edition of Supply Chain Insider. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll keep coming back. For the latest insights into the infrastructure plan, and really anything else supply chain related, check us out at mhlnews.com. While you're there, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. For Supply Chain Insider, I'm Dave Blanchard. See you next time.